Well, hey there, everybody. Out of buzzards. This is Macy. This is Nicole. I'm Bella. I'm Shannon. And I'm Ashley. And, and you're listening to Buzzkillers <laughs> <laughs> with special guest, the Stephen Queen. Excited to be here. <laughs> and we know this episode's coming to you guys a little late. We had some technical difficulties. And they the Stephen Queens have been absolutely amazing in recording with us again. Well, why don't we take a moment and let the Stephen Queens introduce themselves? Yeah. Sure. Tell us a little bit about you guys and what which your podcast is all about. That are yeah. Your- so we're the Stephen Queens. We are a female-led horror podcast, and we just kind of review things from a female identifying perspective. You know, we, we've seen a lot of horror movies throughout our time and we love horror movies, but there's oftentimes a lot of violence, like senseless, gratuitous violence against women in horror films and women in horror films often kind of get the short end of the stick. So we just like to find films that are kind of represent us in a little bit better light and are fun and scary to watch. I love it. That's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) I'm about it. And in case our listeners are unaware, we recently were on the Stephen Queen's podcast. Where? It was so much fun. It was all the best time. We had the best time. And we talked about the movie that is based on the case that Macy's going to be covering. Yeah. Macy, do you want to tell them a little bit about what we are going to talk about? Yeah. So, um, Guys, if you haven't already listened to the Stephen Queens episode, it is on The Conjuring 3, The Devil Made Me Do It, which is based on The Devil Made Me Do It case of Arnie Johnson. And that's what we're going to talk about today. (laughs) The real deal. What actually happened and what was not over-dramatized in the movie. (laughs) Um, And uh, this is such a crazy case. I couldn't find, like, every time I found, I thought I found all my stuff, I just kept getting more and more and more and more. Um, So this was a pretty long one, but I'm going to try and um, cut out any details that sometimes I over talk about, which is a lot of things. So, um, okay. So, and just for reference, I said this when we first recorded too, um, if you notice the timeline is very similar to the timeline in the shock doc, the devil made me do it on discovery plus that's because it is, I give them full credit. <laughs> um, I got this timeline directly from them and I'm not ashamed of it. So there we go. Um, this begins in July of 1980 in Brookfield, Connecticut. Um, and as well, I hope our listeners know this is Ed and Lorraine Warren month. So Ed and Lorraine, um, were very involved in this case. And Lorraine actually said that Arnie Johnson was just like the typical American kid, like eating apple pie, that kind of a kid. He was an <laughs> awesome, aw- awesome dude. And everybody loved him. Why are you laughing at me? Because <laughs> yeah, that's American eating American pie. Like that's, that's like, know, but, but, like, I just think of Gilmore Girls where like, he's like, oh, you're the American boy eating apple pie. My, que- <laughs> my question is this, did his smile light up the room? Yes. True. <laughs> True. If your smile lights up a room, you are more likely to get murdered. It's facts. Oh, <laughs> yes, I think, I think it did, which is why he was more likely to get possessed in this case. Yeah. There you go. Um, <laughs> so it's like... Eating apple pie. That's gonna make me laugh about that. Does damn it. Um, so Arnie was working as a 
tree surgeon, which is an arborist for those who aren't in the know. I was like, what the fuck is a tree surgeon? Um, and he worked at the right tree, the right tree service. That's crazy. Um, and when this begins, he is 18 years old, but by the time the trial and all of that comes to light, he'll be 19. So a year passes between these two events. So fast. Yeah. It happens really quickly. Um, Arnie was engaged to a 26 year old girl named Debbie Glatzel. That's a little scandalous. Yeah. She's And she like knew him when he was a kid. It was, they talk about it in the documentary. It was weird. It was weird. I was like, mm-hmm. please don't say you babysat him. Please don't say you babysat him. Please don't say you babysat him. No, she wasn't his babysitter. But she knew his mother. <laughs> so that's wow. weird. Interesting. Um, yeah. Um, but they were planning to get married in the fall of 1980. And they had spent a couple of months looking for a house outside of Bridgeport, Connecticut. Um, and they finally moved into a new house on July 2nd of 1980. Um, they had found a house for rent in Newton, Connecticut, which was very close to Debbie's family. Um, there is an episode of A Haunting, which you can watch on Discovery Plus. If you, yeah. <laughs> oh, and I used to watch that show all the time as kids. <laughs> that show was yes. the best. Well, that's the story when we recorded the last time about- Oh, about man. <laughs> <laughs> and I, it's always, it, I thought it was interesting with this haunting episode too, they don't talk about what happens after the haunting of the little or the possession of the little boy. Like that's all this episode is about is that beginning part, like the whole trial, just like, that's like half the story. Yeah. never gets mentioned. So I was like, "Mm -hmm, that's weird. Okay. Um, so the haunting episode mentions that Arnie's mother was supposed to move in with the two of them. Um, but I couldn't verify that anywhere. So other than that episode, so take what you will from that. Um, The house was in a very private area. It was in the country, had a big backyard and they had basically tied up all of their savings into it. It was like the deposit plus two or three months rent. There was like, they weren't leaving. (laughs) They were really excited and they were planning on spending whatever time there. I don't know how long. So on July 2nd, uh, David, and I think there are two Glatzel brothers, um, but Carl is one that's mentioned a lot, but he's not mentioned in this because he was skeptical. But then I think there's a third and I'm pretty sure his name was Alan, um, but that was in the documentary on Discovery Plus. So they might have changed his name. I'm not sure. Um, But David and one of the other brothers came over to help uh, Debbie and Arnie move into the house. And apparently everyone was super excited for them, except for um, Debbie's mother, Judy. She said that she had a bad feeling about the house. There was a heaviness in the air and she felt like she was being watched and stuff like that. But they were like, wow, we're moving in. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> I love how they really tied up everything into this house and it's like, turns out to be possessed. Like what? the worst luck that's like I know I know like there Um, have been 22 murders here okay this is a great deal let's move here (laughs) we just did an episode on the conjuring house and 
Um, they do in Rizal with Rhode Island, right? Yes. In Rhode Island, they don't have to disclose if someone's been murdered in the house. Any, they don't have to disclose any Murder? death or hauntings. Yeah. They yeah. Don't, yeah. So if you ever attempt to move to Rhode Island, be aware that they will not tell you it's haunted or something. I love Rhode Island. Um, so as, and as far as I know, they hadn't been told that anything weird was going on there. Um, when they moved in, when Debbie and Arnie were moving in, um, so how this all starts is with David Glatzel, who is the youngest brother of the Glatzel family. He is 11 um, at the time of this. He is sweeping up in the master bedroom. And um, this is when he has his very first encounter with whatever this thing is. Um, he runs outside and refuses to come back in and the haunting episode says he sat out by a tree until he, until everybody left. And who knows if that's true, <laughs> but he refused to come back inside. And even after Debbie and Arnie had been like, come on, dude, it's fine. Come back in. And he, no. Um, the other brother that was there with them also claimed to have an experience where he went into the same room, the master bedroom and a door just slammed shut behind him and he couldn't get it open. He's like jiggling the doorknob and it's, seems to be locked and then all of a sudden it just opened up again by himself by itself don't like that hard pass yeah. <laughs> um so everybody finishes up for the afternoon and they head back to the glatzel home which is where arnie and debbie had been staying until they got their own house um and this is when david tells the family what happened he said that while he was in the master bedroom he saw and this is from an article on oxygen it's a direct quote an old man with coarse ruddy skin wearing a torn plaid shirt and blue jeans in the house the old man told the boy to beware as he pushed him onto a waterbed that had been left in the house's master bedroom Ooh. Wow, the waterbed thing is real <laughs> wearing a plaid shirt right now are you gonna push me and say leave maybe <laughs> <laughs> no you feel like watch yourself <laughs> so um david tells the family that this old man is still at the house and turns into what he calls the beast at night Ew. um he told the family that the beast was still talking to him even though they were not at the rental property they were like mm, a good 10 15 minutes from there Ew. The beast um, reminds me of um, what's that movie that we were talking about? Uh, with the split, split, split. split. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, I could see that. Split the beast. The beast. Yeah. Ugh. He when he like becomes. Oh, you've not seen this I movie. Seen it. <laughs> oh my god, it's an interesting one. It. Well, it's, it's good. Interesting. It's I like that. I feel like he, James McAvoy deserves an Oscar. For every role he's in. Because he plays like 12. <laughs> Seriously, though. And he flips between them so quickly. Mm-hmm. I can't believe you've not seen I hate that you haven't seen those. It's driving me crazy. See more movies. Um, <laughs> um, so David obviously tells Arnie and Debbie not to move in there. He said, please don't go there. Um, and he said that he could even like see, even though he was not in the house, an animal scratching at the door, trying to get away from what was in there. Um, and that's from the haunting episode. I couldn't find that anywhere else. There were a lot of things that were just in the haunting episode. They were not anywhere else. 
<laughs> the whole family was like a little skeptical about what he was saying. They really didn't fully believe him, but they also knew that it was like pretty uncharacteristic for him to tell stories. So they just were kind of like, oh, maybe you imagined it, but they all thought it was very strange that what, it, what he was saying. So on July 3rd of 1980, Arnie and Debbie stopped back at the house to drop off their last minute things. Um, and Arnie said that while he was in the home and he was like, he was inside and Debbie was outside. He felt two hard taps on his shoulder, but there was no one else in the room or in the house with him. She was outside, like pulling boxes out of the car. Um, he also sees scratches on the door, just where David said they'd be. No. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the previous homeowner or renter shows up and her name is Karen. <laughs> um, she comes to pick up her waterbed, which she had left there and was just leaving there until she could come back and get it. Um, and Debbie asks her if she has experienced anything weird in the house. Um, and Karen says she has, she heard whispers, felt a cold body get next to her in bed and had seen the spirit of an old man. The cold body thing, man. I mean, same, but like, no, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the second something starts crawling into bed with me, I'm going. But at least, like, I knew the person there, you know? Like, (laughs) (laughs) Um, so Arnie and Debbie make the decision that day not to move in. They take all their stuff out of the house and they drive it back to the Glatzel home. Um, And I'm assuming they lost quite a bit of money. They Um, waited until then to decide that they weren't going to move in? Like well, dropping off our last few boxes. We should probably make this decision now. They're like, bye. Um, so they decide to move or just keep living in Judy's house, uh, the Glatzel home for a while. The haunting episode said that Arnie's mother like showed up as they were trying to like pack up all their shit and leave. And um, they were like, oh, sorry, mom, we're not moving in. And she was pissed and decided to stay anyway. That's what the haunting episode said. Again, could not verify that. All right. Hey, it's a haunting. I take them at their word. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But I'm telling you exactly where I got it. <laughs> um, so when they get home from moving back all of their things, David is like freaking out at the Glatzel house. He is just terrified saying that the beast is on its way to their house. Mm-hmm. Like is following them home. Um, he said it was by the front window. And that's when Judy grabs her holy water and starts trying to sprinkle that around. Um, and David said, quote, he hates it. He hates it. And then um, said that it had gone back to the rental property. Do I have a serious question? Do people just generally have holy water on hand? I, my parents. <laughs> I know Bella did. You, you had some as a kid. So, 
I don't I, know if that's if it's a Catholic thing. My or... parents got some on Easter. Oh, I don't yeah. know what they used it for. The more the you know. The priest was offering it, and they <laughs> took some. So I guess disengaged. The more you know. If I was at a place like that, I might grab the free holy water. I probably would too. Just in case. <laughs> just in case I ever needed it. Um, so as far as they know, this beastie thing has been kept at bay by the holy water and it has gone back to where it belongs at the rental property. And on July 4th of 1980, the family had been out for their 4th of July celebrations and um, everything seemed normal. Everybody was fine all day. And when they return back to the house, David is freaking out again. Um, he said that while they were gone, the beast had found a way into their house through the attic. Um, and that night, while they're all hanging out at home, Debbie hears footsteps in the attic. Mm -hmm. um, Arnie gets up to go investigate. He doesn't see anything, but says that he felt an ice cold presence go through him. Um, and then he goes back downstairs and says, well, I didn't see anything, but it was like kind of cold up there. The footsteps start again and they're even louder than before. And so the family all know that something weird is going on that David has seen, but none of them have actually seen it um, or heard it. Only David can see and hear it. That's even more terrifying. Yeah. And so they're experiencing things, but then David's saying that it's telling him things. Yeah. And it's, they're just like, what is happening <laughs> to this kid? <laughs> Um, and this is when he started seeing the, the old man with the plaid clothes and stuff in their house during the day. Oh Lord. This is why I'm not a parent. Cause I would just throw the whole child away. Like, all right, we'll start over. We need a new one. <laughs> this kind of reminds me though of like the old man and the conjuring tale. Oh, I can see that. Yeah. I get those kind of vibes. The one that's just like, get out of here. That's supposed to be Bill Wilkins. Mm -hmm. He's supposed to be the man that died in the house. You guys need to go listen to our episode about that. We were just talking about like how you guys would find it so interesting because the Warren's involvement is a lie. Yeah. <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like I love them to death, but I feel like half of their stuff is like they were very involved. And the other half of it's like, well, we weren't involved, but we were. Wink, wink. Yeah, like, just a, just a little bit. In reality, they showed, <laughs> they showed up uninvited for about 12 hours and we were, they were like, bye. Yeah, that's cool. We're done now. Bye. <laughs> I was like, everything I know about this movie is a lie. The whole movie so wrong. It's a lie. <laughs> um, okay. So by July 9th, so like a couple, like five days have gone by stuff is just getting worse. Um, David tells his mother on July 9th um, that the beast told him that he was more powerful than Jesus Christ and that the beast also told him to take down all of the religious articles in the house. Um, yikes. So <laughs> Judy refuses to take them down um, and the family are having some sort of a like family meeting. All I can think of is town meeting. Um, 
<laughs> they suggest calling a priest to do a blessing of the house. Um, and this is when David gives them a message that is supposedly from the beast, where he says, don't do it or there will be consequences. And all of a sudden, David starts choking. Oh my God. Un it's unexplained. And they're seeing like red marks on his neck. Was Darth Vader there? I mean, maybe this thing is like that. Um, so on July 10th of 1980, Judy calls a man named Father Dennis at St. Joseph's Catholic Church. Um, and Father Dennis comes to do a, a house blessing and he blesses every room and he gives David some um, religious artifacts to carry around with him to keep him safe. Um, that night, the house seems quiet. Everybody seems fine. And they think that this worked. Did it? We'll see. <laughs> um, on July 11th of 1980, which is the exact next day. So obviously this did not work. Uh, a toy dinosaur in David's room animated itself and tells him to beware again. Oh my god! Um, toy Story. Shit. Yeah, Toy Story. I like, Congrats. I kind of think that would. No, I'm gonna say this, and now I'm gonna get possessed. But like, that'd be kind of cool. <laughs> Just don't be suspicious of it. Be like, okay. I feel weirded out, but like as a kid, I'd be like, cool. My toys came alive. <laughs> toy Story's <laughs> real. Oh. So I was talking. <laughs> like he probably did not think this was cool, but I'm just like, <laughs> well, when it's telling him to beware, probably not. Um, so he, this this whole thing with the dinosaur thing happens, and Judy's like, crap, the blessing did not work, and David immediately gets an invisible blow to his chest, and he like keels over, like something's like hit him really hard in the chest. Um, and the family saw like his body, like sink in from impact. Um, David said that the beast had plunged a knife into his chest. And when they opened up his shirt, there was like a giant red line where he said he'd gotten hit. Ooh. Poor kid. I know. And the beast all the time during this experience is telling him that he will make his life miserable unless David gives up his soul. Mm -hmm. Um, and this is when David says, like, I think the most terrifying thing that I've ever heard anyone say that the beast brought other entities with him to help him. And there were 43 of them in total. Oh, that's so many. I know. Why do you need 43 hellish demons? My OCD wants it. This poor kid for real. <laughs> like you couldn't like put it to like a nice round number or something. He's the devil. <laughs> no, of course not, because yes, they're demons. Like they're not gonna do us any favors. <laughs> That's um, and so David said that the beast gave each of these entities a number. And um, this is a quote directly from the shock doc. Um, they had like an occult specialist come on and talk, and he said. By using numbers instead of their Latin names, it is believed the entities are able to maintain their anonymity and thus their power over their victims. Because you don't know their, who they are, their real name. Yeah. Oh. Um, Judy calls Father Dennis again and is like, um, come back. 
<laughs> and um, this is when he gives them Ed and Lorraine's phone number. And they actually only lived two towns away. Hmm. They're all in Connecticut. So this thing keeps moving. Do you see this? I do. Okay. Maybe I'm not crazy. (laughs) Um, So that night, and this is a quote from the lineup, David wakes up um, crying, saying he was visited by a man with black eyes, a thin face with animal features and jagged teeth, pointed ears, hooves, and horns. Krampus? Krampus. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and I'll, I'll, t- I'll come back to this because I want to talk about some of the things that he experienced. Like this poor thing just had the worst time. And, but I want to get to what the, the Warrens, um, when the Warrens come. So Ed and Lorraine get a call from uh, the, fam- the Glassell family on July 13th of 1980. And before they get that call, they were actually driving through Brookfield, like just on their own, hanging out for the day, the two of them. Um, As they're leaving the town, Lorraine said she looked back and Ed asked her what was wrong. And she said that she had a funny feeling something was going to happen. And he said, where? And she said, here. Ooh, Ooh, spooky. Yeah. And as they get home, they get a phone call from the Glatzels. And um, they agree to help. And this is just to put this in a little perspective. This is only 12 days after David had his very first experience with this thing. Oh my God. That kid went through so much in such a short amount of time. Yeah. It progresses real quick. Um, They come that night and they bring um, a physician named Dr. Anthony Gressel with them. They just wanted to check David out, make sure that this wasn't something physical or mental, just make sure they're getting involved in something that is real and not Mm -hmm. fake. Um, Russell said that David was perfectly healthy, physically and mentally, seemed fine. Um, And the one thing that Lorraine always talks about when she's talking about um, how she experiences spirit is she says it's through auras, Mm -hmm. Um, seeing auras around things, around people um, and so I lost it. There it goes. Um, Lorraine was interviewing David and she asked him if he could see the beast. Is the beast anywhere in here? And he said the beast was in the living room. And Lorraine turned to the living room and said that she saw a black misty form next to David, which told me we were dealing with something of a negative nature. Um. And once she sees this, Ed is like totally less skeptical. He'd been kind of like hiding that he didn't really believe. <laughs> and then once Lorraine was like, yep, I saw something. He, he was more inclined to believe the family. I was just like, you only believe that she says there's something. Okay. <laughs> um, so this is when Ed decides he wants to provoke the entity. I feel like he was just like an okay. older version of Zach Bagans. I was just going to say, okay, Zach Bagans. Yeah, I think he's Bilbo Bagans. Um, so <laughs> where did it go? There we go. So he provokes this thing. It's like, show yourself. Um, and they hear three loud bangs on the middle of the table, which is supposedly a sign of the d- demonic because they like to mock the Holy Trinity, um, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, 
um, they do things in threes. Like I, it, it's just something that they do. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why. Um, and so what the, Ed Warren tells the family at this point, because of after talking with, with Lorraine and she said, she's feeling something evil that this is probably um, no typical haunting. And he asks David who the entity is like, does this thing have a name? And David says, his name is Satan. Oh, oh wow. Personal so, VIP treatment. Yeah. Well, the 43 demons are Satan and 42 other demonic helpers. That's really scary. For some reason, the mental image that I just got was like Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. Like <laughs> Satan and the 42 <laughs> 42 <helpers>. demons. <laughs> <laughs> Satan and the fortitude needs somebody it. to draw Satan like that with like his minions, like make so it like John and Kate plus eight, but like it's just Kate and then all the eight. <laughs> I am texting Aaron after this and be like, "Can you draw this for me?" <laughs> yes, that's gonna be the best. Um. Uh, so the Warrens told the Glatzels that the beast was speaking to and through David. Um, and so, but he wasn't yet possessed by whatever this thing was. It was, they were just communicating with him somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, and they suggested that they start talking with the Catholic church about an exorcism. But if you're in need of an exorcism, well, unfortunately you're going to have to wait a while because the diocese, the archdiocese and the Vatican all have to complete their own formal investigation before they will even let anyone in. Yay. So hopefully the possession doesn't kill you before then. Exactly. <laughs> or anybody else. Exactly. Um, they need a lot of evidence before they can proceed because exorcisms can be really dangerous. And if they have the wrong type of information and it ends up really be a hoax and somebody who was kind of just mentally unstable, they could, you know, uh, face a lot of litigation for that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Probably quite a bit of litigation for that. Um, so Ed and Lorraine give the Glaxos holy candles and salts to protect them while they're waiting for this. Um, and Ed tells the family never to leave David alone at this point. Um, and they go back home and tell them to call if they need anything. Um, later that night, they're all sitting and hanging out together as a family and David gets just overtaken with something. Um, and they said that whenever he would get like, basically possessed by this thing, his eyes would roll into the back of his head and you'd only see the whites of his eyes. And he would like lift his head and like have his face in this contorted snarl and he'd be like laughing at you. Mm -hmm. So that's quite disconcerting. (laughs) Um, (laughs) When When this happens, um, Arnie starts reciting the 23rd Psalm, which is the the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, whatever, yeah, religion. Um, And the Glatzel family immediately pick up the phone and call the Warrens again. The uh, Warrens are pulling into their driveway as they get this call and immediately get back in the car and rush back. Um, As they're rushing back to the house, David stops breathing. 
and is just laying lifeless on the floor. Um, and when the Warrens walk through the door, David wakes up magically. That's suspicious. Yeah. That's weird. It is very weird. It's so creepy. It's like, well, you just like, you're, you're fine. You're fine now. <laughs> right. Are you okay? What happened? And it's just like, oh, you, you were dying there for a sec. <laughs> you weren't breathing for a hot <laughs> minute there. Uh. Um, so for the next two weeks after this um, first incident on, of possession on July 13th, David becomes possessed over a dozen times within two weeks. Um, he would be physically attacked. Um, there would be pounding on the walls and on objects and on the floors. They would see objects levitating. Um, and then I'll go back and do some of the things that he would do. So um, David would kick and bite and spit and like just start screaming obscenities at people. Um, he would wake up randomly in the middle of the night and hiss and growl and speak in odd voices. Um, and he would also, this is for a quote from the lineup, would suddenly begin reciting passages from the Bible or from Milton's Paradise Lost. Like, okay, I will say I do laugh in my sleep, but it is, <laughs> you know, it's apparently very creepy, but I'm not possessed. But was he as flexible as he was in the movie? I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. He was flexible. <laughs> um, some of the times when the Warrens were there as well, they claimed that plates would levitate. Um, rocking chairs flew through the air. They had also witnessed the like the dinosaur toy animate itself uh, several times. Um, and David actually began rapidly losing weight over the course of this. He lost about sixty pounds. Um, and that was in a short time I know it only happens over a couple of months it's like from July and then the last little bit that happens is in September before the Arnie stuff so like this isn't a very long period of time to be losing 60 pounds yeah it's a lot um and some sources said that David allegedly predicted the murder that Arnie would commit later on oh um yeah um every time that david would become possessed uh like they'd have to like record it record all these instances so debbie started keeping a journal of all the things that happened to them and it's kind of cool in the shock doc they show like pictures they would keep all of this evidence so that they could show it to a bishop as proof um they also started, the whole family started getting physically attacked by whatever this thing was. Um, and the Warrens returned to their house multiple times during that summer to try and help them. The family um, had a group on and demon, like demons attacking them. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, so on July 27th of 1980, Arnie sees the demon for the first time. And he's the only other family member other than David to see this thing. Um, he said it was the uh, black form of a man and his eyes were deep pits that would draw you in. Um, and experts in the documentary said that uh, the entity was using the fear of the family most likely to try and manifest itself to other family members. 
Um, so he tells the family that he's seen this thing. Obviously, obviously that's even worse because, you know, what is, what can this thing, how powerful is this thing? What can yeah. this thing do? Um, on July 1st of 1980, Judy leaves David alone for the very first time. Um, um like, wasn't there a whole why would you do that? that? You hey. were given specific instructions to not do <laughs> the exactly. thing. And then you do the thing. <laughs> <laughs> the shock talk like suggested that she like went to go do dishes or something while he was asleep, but who knows exactly what she was doing. Um, she all of a sudden hears David just screaming. Um, she runs into his room and the demon tells her, David's not here. His soul is mine. Someone will die. Mm-hmm. What? Um, and this is when they call the Warrens, obviously, and another father from St. Joseph's named Father Grasso. Um, they come to the house and witness David levitating off of his bed and saying, David is gone. And you can hear some of this stuff in those tapes that they play in the movie. <sighs> it's scary. Yeah. There's a lot of moments where that whatever is in him is saying like, David's not here. And like, and it's not yeah. his voice. It's so scary. I've, I've listened to enough of that for a lifetime. Um, <laughs> I was like, I don't want to hear anymore. <laughs> um, so Father Gra- Grasso realizes that this is like crazy. Like they need to get an exorcism done now. And so he contacts a, um, another man of the cloth named Father <laughs> Virgulac. Oh, that's a crazy name. Um, <laughs> um, and they are trying to get more um, holy people to kind of endorse this to get yeah the exorcism expedited push it through fast yeah Yeah, um but father virgilac decides to authorize an informal exorcism at at the local saint joseph's church um because he doesn't have official authorization from the bishop from the diocese he cannot perform the full rite of exorcism um and so they have to do the minor rite of exorcism which is a series of prayers that they just do over and over and over and over. Okay. Um, so they set a date for the exorcism on September 2nd of 1980. And David is brought to St. Joseph's church, kicking and screaming. Like his family had to wrap him up in a sheet to keep him from flailing around. Oh my gosh. Um, and he was like, th- like thrashing at them like violently to get out of this thing. Um, he starts speaking in Latin and saying things that he, you should not say in a church. And um, (laughs) they said the Bibles and the hymnals started flying around. And eventually David broke loose um, and attacked one of the priests. Um, And this is after this, he falls to the floor and stops breathing again. Um, And as they start trying to like, they, they, they keep going. The the priests are like, no, we got to finish. We got to finish this, you know, like, don't like basically don't worry that the kid's not breathing it's fine (laughs) and so his sister tells them to stop and um they do not get to finish the minor rite of exorcism 
they schedule another exorcism for September 8th of 1980. And the Warrens told Debbie that they could not stop the rite of exorcism for any reason. They were both like, you, like you, you cannot believe what you see, what you hear. You, you need to like let them finish because we could lose him real quick if we don't do this. And so she agrees to, you know, follow along no matter what happens. Um, and they picked this date in particular because um, it's supposedly the Virgin Mary's birthday. Um, it's called the Nativity of the Blessed Virgin. And it refers to the Christian feast day that celebrates the birth of Mary, mother of Jesus. So they picked this date hoping that it would like make everything calm, lead to something pretty nonviolent. Yeah. Other than that's not what happens. Um, (laughs) This part of the exorcism takes place rather calmly. Um, David left. They said he felt good. Everything was fine. Um, But Lorraine was like, but we have to wait and see. Let's see what happens after midnight. So at 12.07 a.m. on September 9th, uh, all hell breaks loose at the Glatzel well, I've always heard that nothing good ever happens past midnight. Yeah. <laughs> They're right. You're right. <laughs> so David starts screaming and yelling and like gyrating. That was the word that they used. <laughs> Lunging around at people. Objects are flying around the house. He apparently levitated off the couch, stopped breathing, and then said the names of all 43 demons possessing him. Um, oh. the, Debbie actually like picked him up off of a, off the floor and like tied him to a chair with a belt because he was literally like they could not control him. And um, this is when Arnie, gem that he is, challenged the demon and said, coming to me, leave the little lad alone. And that's what Mrs. Warren said that he said to the New York Times. Um, Rain told him, don't do that, you dumb dumb. And uh, that didn't help. Arnie wanted to protect him and take whatever was burdening him away. Um, And everything after that seems to stop. Uh, at dawn, Lorraine senses that the demon has been exercised and the energy in the house was peaceful and David seemed like himself. Um, so now I have a question. Take that how you will. Our spooky staff, <laughs> you actually have a heart attack? No. Okay. No. <laughs> Not that I could find. Not that I could find. No, no. He, our, our lovely spooky snack did not. Um, so this is again from only from the a haunting episode. Um, after the exorcisms were performed, Arnie was in a car accident, um, and he claimed that some force took over him and forced his car off the road into a tree. Um, he was unharmed, but again, only in the a haunting episode. <laughs> Did not happen <laughs> anywhere else, um, and. I mean, honestly, that could be when he saw it too for the first time. It was kind of vague, like where that fit. But somewhere he got in a car accident. Um, and because they're dumb after this, uh, 
Arnie decides to go back to the rental property where David had had his first experience. Apparently, there was a well on the property and the Warrens had said that like there was something bad in that well, like that was where it had been living, like don't go back there, don't investigate it. But that's just what Arnie did. And he went back to the property because he thought his mother was still there. Like it's been months and you don't know if your mother's still there or not. You don't know if your mother's living like the demon leading him to do this. I mean, maybe, maybe that too. Um, But he got to the house and noticed that his mother was gone and that there was nothing in the house. It was abandoned. Um, I thought maybe he didn't know why, wait, wait, why she wasn't there because they hadn't been speaking. She was kind of mad that they had decided to move out. So maybe that's why he didn't know. Mm -hmm. But um, while he was there looking for her, he goes to the well, investigate it like he's been told not to and makes eye contact with the demon at the bottom of the well. And he said that this was the last time he was lucid until after the murder. Wow. Yeah. So by November of 1980, David, who has turned 12 by this point, is no longer possessed. He seems fine. Back to the happy-go-lucky normal kid. Um, Debbie got a job at a pet motel called the Brookfield Pet Motel. Um, She was a groomer and an apartment actually came with that job. Um, And so she lived on the kennel grounds with Arnie and her boss, Alan Bono, who had an apartment above the kennel. He was 40. Um, So he was their landlord, her boss, and by all accounts, a friend of theirs. Um, He was originally from Australia and was new to Connecticut. um, And he'd only been living there for about six months prior Mm -hmm. to this. this. Um, During this time, Debbie becomes concerned that possibly the demonic presence has followed the two of them. Um, He hadn't had any additional experiences with it. Um, but Debbie said that Arnie would like fall into trances and start growling and he would hallucinate. And when he came to, he wouldn't remember any of it. So she's starting to get a little concerned that maybe something followed. Understand. Um, yeah, that, that would be a little bit. Growling? Yeah. Either he's possessed or he has turned into a furry. Oh. <laughs> no shade to furries though <laughs> um so on february 16th of 1980 around 6 30 p.m a patrolman named joe lamparelli receives a call about an altercation at the kennel on federal road which is where the brookfield pet motel was um lamparelli was the first responder And he sees Alan Bono stumble out of the kennel door um, holding his side. And he's bleeding profusely. He falls to the ground. An ambulance comes to the scene and they take Bono to Danbury Hospital emergency room. Um, Debbie Glatzel is at the house when this happened because she was the one who called police. Um, She said that it was Arnie who had done this and that Arnie was gone. 
And just to put this in a little bit of perspective, this was the first murder in the 193 year history of Brookfield, Connecticut. Holy shit. Wow. Then another murder prior to this. Wow. Oh my gosh. Um, Arnie was found about two miles away from the Glatzel home um, by an ambulance crew that had actually picked up Bono, driven him to the hospital and was out back, was out looking for, well, not looking for trouble, <laughs> like just out doing their patrol or whatever they do. Um, so they stopped and, and radioed someone to come and get him because he's covered in blood. Um, Arnie told the responding officers that showed up, something happened. I just can't remember. And police said that he was non-threatening. He didn't have a knife. He seemed fine. He just kind of seemed dazed and confused. Um, so unfortunately, within an hour of the incident, by 7.30 p.m., Bono was pronounced dead at the hospital. And an hour and a half later, um, Arnie was being interviewed by a man named Detective Lucas. Um, everyone that interviewed him said that he just didn't seem to recall what was happening. Like he didn't even know what was going on. And that it all seemed very odd because his girlfriend had said it was him. Mm -hmm. He had blood on him. It seemed like a pretty open and shut case. But then you have this kid that's just kind of like, what? what happened? <laughs> I'm not like, is everybody okay? I'm covered in blood. And they're like, um, dude, you did this. <laughs> um, so he was held on $125,000 bail, but they did notice that he had no prior like criminal record. So it was just kind of odd. Like who just randomly, you know, murders someone, mm -hmm. but okay. Ooh. So here was the um, account, according to Debbie, of what happened that day. Um, there were sources that said there were witnesses other than Debbie to this crime. Um, Debbie's nine-year-old cousin, Mary, and then um, Arnie's sisters, Wanda and Janice. Wanda was 15 and Janice was 13. Um, That's the That really is. That's so terrible. These poor kids, all of them having been involved. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was kind of crazy because one of the actual articles I read did have an interview with them where they talked about what happened that day, but in the doc, they don't mention them at all. That's weird. Huh. says like it all happened to her. It was very strange. So take this as you will. Um, Arnie had stayed home from work that day because he had a sore throat and he wasn't feeling well. Um, and so she mm -hmm. stayed at, or he stayed at the kennel with her for the day. Um, Alan ended up wanting to take Debbie and Arnie out for lunch um, at this restaurant called the Mug and Munch. <laughs> I love it. Amazing. Yes. Um, and they had pizza and they had some wine, but Alan was a drinker and liked to drink. And eventually the bartender had to cut them off because he was becoming like belligerent in the restaurant. So they went back to the kennel, um, but Arnie said that he wanted to leave like where, like they were in Alan's apartment. So he wanted to leave and go back to their apartment. Mm -hmm. And when he said this, Alan started getting even more belligerent. Um, and like I said, the sources kind of vary. Alan grabbed someone 
there was a source that told me that it was Mary, which was um, the younger cousin. And then there was another source that said it was Debbie, but Alan grabbed one of them. And that is when Arnie turned around and told him to let go. And he was acting like weird and wouldn't do it. And finally he let whoever it was go and put up his hands to fight Arnie. Um, and Debbie said at this point, when she looked back at Arnie, she couldn't even like recognize him. She said like his eyes were cold and black and she just knew he wasn't himself. She said his, wow. facial, his facial features were different. She said his teeth changed. Like she like knew whatever this was, was not him. And she also said that he started growling like an animal. His smile no longer lit up the room. No longer. <laughs> no longer. And this, when he's doing this is when he grabs the knife and goes at Bono with it um, and, and starts repeatedly stabbing him in the chest and stomach. Um, this is when, and then, you know, Debbie calls the police. She's like, well, oh my God. And um, this is when they arrive. Uh, Alan stumbled out onto the ground and Arnie walked uh, calmly into the woods that was that was that calmly calmly <laughs> as um, you do as you do after you just finish stabbing someone yes yeah. right totally normal <laughs> it's like you know i could see like if there was self-defense involved like not stabbing somebody but you know what i mean like doing i mean well yeah i guess in some in this circumstance i could see you know arnie at least fighting him or something but that's so excessive that like you know he had to have been possessed like yeah, like right? something happened it was there's so nothing weird. logical there mm-hmm. and like for people who are non-believers it's like this whole situation like why would his fiance turn him in or like tell people that he did it like yeah yeah exactly yeah um they did find the murder weapon at the scene. It was a five inch folding blade. That's very similar to like a buck hunting knife. Um, and it was a knife that Arnie frequently used while on the job. So it was something that he had on him quite often. Um, after the murder, the Glatzels reach back out to the Warrens and the Warrens tell them that the demon wanted to punish Arnie and like just make his life miserable for uh challenging him he wanted him to suffer basically um so the warrens promise the glatzel family that they'll help in any way they can and they actually meet with the police chief of brookfield um and his name well his last name was anderson um he's police chief anderson and um the lorraine lorraine and ed they go to the police and they tell them everything, but the police are like, this is pretty open and shut. We know he did it. He had the blood on him. We have the knife. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, I'm glad you say he's possessed, but we can't really investigate yeah, that. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, so a really interesting thing that happened with this case as um, normally with like Ed and Lorraine Warren cases, they go public like pretty quickly. This actually did not go public even about David until the murder. So nobody knew what had been going on with the Glaxel family. Nobody knew anything and had been kept very hush-hush. I can understand why they would want to keep that on the down low. 
Yeah. Yeah. But the minute that this people catch wind of this, it goes crazy. And, um, the Glatzels are saying that he was possessed. The Warrens are openly saying he was possessed. This becomes a media feeding frenzy. Um, and the community was pretty split at the time. Um, it was like, it's a, was a pretty, um, like religious area. And like I said, they were Catholics mostly. So they, they kind of were like, well, if we believe in God, then we have to believe in the devil. Right. So some of them were like, yeah, we believe them. And some of them did not at all. Um, but there's a little, uh, clip that you can actually watch of like the Warrens saying to a media outlet that they were going to put the devil on trial. And, um, they wanted to prove basically their life's work in an actual court of law. Mm -hmm. Um, and a lawyer comes into the picture named Marty Manella, which I thought was interesting because it is a man. And in the movie, it's a girl. That is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Marty Manella gets contacted by the Warrens who explain kind of what happened. He's skeptical, but he's interested. He wants to hear what they have to say. So um, he went and, and made a meeting with them and saw their evidence. Um, Ed played a recording of David Glatzel's possession um, where a voice on the tape said, I own David. Ooh. And the voice was coming out of David, but it did not oh. sound like him. Um, and there's like, I, I don't know if they actually showed him Annabelle, but I know sometimes they like in the movie, they like to be like, come see Annabelle. Come see yeah. Annabelle. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know if he did that, but he was pretty convinced by the, by their evidence, but then was even more convinced when he met Arnie. Um, he said that when he first met him, he was quiet and mellow, like seemed pretty peaceful. Arnie did not try to make excuses for excuses for himself. And he never actually came out and said he was possessed. All he said was he could not remember. Hmm. So it's interesting because everybody's like, oh, he's, he's claiming he's possessed. He's claiming he's possessed. But Arnie never said it. His family right. did and his lawyer did and the Warrens did, but he never outright said it. And that gives me even more reason to think he was possessed. Yeah. 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 Um, so after all of this, Manella decides to take uh, Arnie's case on pro bono and starts saying he is innocent based on, you know, demonic possession. Mm -hmm. And that is what Debbie is fiercely claiming too. They're all meeting with these reporters saying he was possessed. We do not think that he is guilty. Then da, 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 da. Um, so Marty Manella actually says on, uh, in a New York Times article, the courts have dealt with the existence of God. Now they're going to have to deal with the existence of the devil. And his trial, Arnie's trial, began on October 28th of 1991 at Connecticut's Superior Court in Danbury, and he was charged with first-degree murder. Um, Marty Manella entered a plea of not guilty by reason of demonic possession. Um, and it was the first time that this type of plea had ever been used in the United States. There were two cases that used this plea in the United Kingdom, but neither case actually ever went to trial. Um, and Marty Manella actually said that this defense idea came directly from Ed and Lorraine, like yeah. that they suggested it. 
Interesting. Mm, yeah. Very interesting. Um, so Manila for the court case was planning to bring in experts from Europe. He was going to subpoena the priests who had been involved in David's exorcisms because at this point they had kind of refused to talk about this and testify. Um, he was also going to bring some of the, um, the experts from the UK cases who had tried to have a similar plea. Um, he said, this is from an Oxygen article from Marty Manila. I didn't come up with this. This is what was presented to me. I went to see Ed and Lorraine and decided to take the case after talking to them. They told me that when you're possessed, you have no control over your actions. That stuck in my mind. Um, and he also believed that Arnie was not guilty because there were four or they said four or five like tremendous wounds, like the wounds that killed him. Um, and one of them went from Bono's stomach to the base of his heart. Oh, like, gosh. and he said that they were so deep that he did not believe that they could have been caused by human hands. Like, cause he would have been having to put his entire weight into this guy to do that. Um, anyway, um, the first day of the trial, weird things start happening in the courtroom. The lights began flickering on and off. It has happened several times during the day. Um, and the judge even asked a custodian to take a look and see if there was something wrong with like the electricity and they couldn't find anything. Throughout the trial, bad things started happening to the jurors. Somebody's son got into a car accident, unlucky things, just bad, really? bad luck. This is what they would have included in the movie. That yeah, cool. it's creepy. Yes. Um, during the first day, when Marty Manella gets up to speak, do his opening statement, um, the judge, and his name is Robert Callahan, immediately stops the proceedings and tells him that he's not going to accept the plea of not guilty by reason, by reason of demonic possession. Um, he said that such a defense would be impossible to improve and that the testimony on the subject was irrelevant and unscientific. Um, he said directly, and this is directly from an Oxygen article, he said, the court will take judicial notice that the profession, the business or hobby of locating demons has not risen to the level of viability where it would be of assistance to the jury in deciding the case. I mean, I can't blame them entirely. <laughs> I know. He's like, he, so <laughs> yeah. he can't prove this. You have to do, you have to use something you can prove. So Manella changes Arnie's plea to self-defense, saying that Bono was the aggressor and Arnie was defending himself. Um, the trial lasted for three weeks. And at the end of it, the jury only deliberate or only, <laughs> they deliberated for 17 hours over three days. Um, and on November 24th of 1981, Arnie was found not guilty of first degree murder but he was convicted of first degree manslaughter and was sentenced to 10 to 20 years in prison. He served less than five years and was um, released on good behavior. Um, and he was 24 when he was re released. He married Debbie in January of 1984 and earned his high school diploma, a bunch of other education certificates and even took like college courses while he was incarcerated. Oh, good for Arnie. I just um, feel so bad for him. I know. He was trying to do the right thing and he ended up in this horrible situation. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. 
he apparently showed no signs of possession when he was released. Um, and he, when he was released in 1991, or sorry, he was, I'm sorry. Yeah, he was released into a program where he was supervised by the state until 1991. Sorry. Okay. Um, so he was basically watched for a while to make sure he would like, wouldn't commit any more crimes. Mm -hmm. um, Connecticut's chief of parole, a man named Hans Fjellman, said, um, this is from APNews.com, he was an exemplary inmate. His mental condition was carefully examined. They found no negative factors. Huh. Um, and to explain why, because people asked Ed and Lorraine, why wasn't he possessed when he left? Um, Ed said, possession doesn't last 24 hours a day. It comes quickly and leaves quickly. Arnie understands what happened to him. He now knows if something happens, how to ward it off, and he won't be stupid enough to take on the devil again. Oh, good man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, everybody probably expected him to stay possessed, but really, why like do you, why he was possessed in the first place was revenge. Got its revenge. It hightailed it out of there yeah. for the next person. I yeah, guess. Exactly. 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 Question though. <clears throat> so question one. Are there any like not that it was like super common practice at the time, but were there any like video or audio recordings from the courtroom during the trial? I couldn't find any. God, that would have been so cool. I know. I might have to go to their like actual public records building though to get those. Mm -hmm. I'm not oh, sure if we're able yeah. to find them. Like you could be able to go in and like access them, but you might have to actually go in to their public yeah, records. Something building. that hasn't been digitized. For yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like something out of their file cabinets. <laughs> yeah, they probably could give you like the little. <laughs> yeah. The little okay. Okay. There's definitely got to be transcripts of it. It's just, are they available? easily <laughs> no yeah you probably have to go like request them and like, yeah okay makes sense question yeah. two just to confirm that i'm not missing anything there are there were no totems there was no disciples of ram there was no cult there was no stone table in the middle of a random basement under a river like, none of that no all right cool. <laughs> I asked that same question the first time we, we talked about this and I was like so you're telling me that a solid like 60% of that movie was not true yes I'll up you that and I'll say 75% I will say 75% <laughs> <laughs> not true not true um so just a slide I've got like a little last bit about stuff some stuff that happened afterwards and then I'll be I'll be done um so there was a book actually written about this case. It's called The Devil in Connecticut. It was published in 1983. It's by um, Jared Brittle and at Lorraine Warren. She collaborated on it. She actually sent $2,000 of the profits to the Glatzel family who were not involved in its writing at all, which I found really interesting because I've read several books. Um, I, I covered the Snedeker House, which is the haunting in Connecticut. Um, I covered Amityville. And then I covered um, the Smurl family haunting too, um, all of which had books that were written by Ed and Lorraine. The families were also very heavily involved. Yeah. This was the only one that I found so far where the, fa where the family was not involved. Is all. there a reason why that they weren't involved? Not to my knowledge. Huh. Um, they might want to just to be done with it. Um, but it comes back kind of to bite them in the butt later. And so they seem to be the only family that never 
like you said, they they never they made it. The press. They never made it public and, until Arnie actually committed a crime that like brought them into the spotlight. Mm-hmm. It was something they didn't really seem to plan on sharing with anybody. Yeah, they they weren't I can't they were really blame them. Like that would be so traumatic. Like I would never want to think of that again. Right. I don't right. Either. Um. So there's actually, and you mentioned this uh, when we we talked on your podcast. There is a movie. It's a TV, a made for TV movie. Um, that premiered in NBC, uh, on NBC in the March of, um, in the March, in March of 1983, I can't talk. Um, it's called The Demon Murder Case, and it stars Andy Griffith and Kevin Bacon, who um, is the dramatized version of Arnie. Um, and in 2007, the book, The Devil in Connecticut, was re-released. I don't know why, but it was re-released. Um, and this is when David and his brother, Carl Glaxel Jr., Sue David Brittle, Lorraine Warren, and the William Morris Agency, who owned the rights to the book. Um, They claimed that David had undiagnosed undiagnosed schizophrenia at 11 years old, and that the Warrens took advantage of them. And um, I just want to put this in perspective here. David was in sixth grade when all of this happened. You do not get diagnosed with schizophrenia until you're in your 20s. It's very rare to get diagnosed with schizophrenia when you're 11. And then afterwards, he's just all better. Like, out of nowhere, he never suffers from anything with schizophrenia. Exactly. Sorry, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. I was just saying, definitely an excuse. That's... Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. David um, and Carl claimed that David continued to have hallucinations and delusions from 1979 until 1982. But that's after Arnie's case like again it just randomly stops show me the medical records. yeah I want to see I want to <laughs> see where they told you you have undiagnosed schizophrenia yeah, so where, where's your well, and it's the 70s the mental health care system is shit like it's yeah. not yeah. good in the 70s yeah <laughs> um the cuckoo's nest prime example true yeah 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 <laughs> um Carl also claimed that he didn't like the book because it portrayed him as a villain this is a quote from him, simply because I had a sane voice and knew that the story was false since the beginning. Um, okay. The charges involved invasion of the right of privacy, libel, and inten- intentional infliction of emotional distress. Um, Carl said, my brother was never possessed. He, along with my family, was manipulated and exploited, something the, Warren- something the Warrens are very good at. And along with the author... Jared Riddle, they concocted a phony story about demons in an attempt to get rich and famous at our expense, and we have the evidence to prove it. The Warrens told my family numerous times that we would be millionaires and the book would help my sister's boyfriend, Arnie, get out of jail. I I knew that from day one, it was a lie, but as a child, there was nothing I could really do about it. Wow. didn't see any money from that book. They only saw $2,000 of money from that book. So yeah. when are they telling you that you're going to become yeah. a millionaire? Yeah, right? They were not involved. Um, and that lawsuit was later dismissed. Oh, and there we go. <laughs> and the book was taken, but the book was taken out of print. Um, a local um, clergyman named Father Nicholas Greco from the Diocese of Bridgeport um, also cast out on the the whole story 
Um, he said that the church did investigate David Glatzel's possession, but they did not perform any exorcisms, which, um, duh, duh. <laughs> You're not performing a formal. No. Formal one. They know like what? That doesn't make any sense. Like, of course <laughs> you can't oh say God. that you did an official one because you didn't. <laughs> um, <laughs> And uh, he also claimed that the family refused to submit David to the necessary psychological tests to perform the exorcism, which Debbie Glatzel, or sorry, I, well, Debbie Glatzel too, but Judy, his mother, totally refuted because she claimed that she did take him to see a psychiatrist, not the one that they wanted, but she did take him. Um, but the guy was going to try and charge her $75 an hour and then wanted to bring her entire family in to do it too. So that he could interview all of them. That's excessive. So it's like you're paying $75 an hour for you to talk to like every single family member in my house. That's an hour. Yeah. Like why I'm do you like, need to talk to them? I'm not a psychiatrist expert, but that seems kind of strange. strange. Yeah. yeah. Seems weird. Um, the other priests who were supposedly involved in the three exorcisms never made any statements about what did or did not happen to them. And they were transferred to new churches following the incident. Um, and then some psychiatrists now have tried to um, claim that David was not undiagnosed schizophrenic, was not possessed, but that he had a learning disability. And that's why he did all that stuff. Like sure. what? <laughs> okay that makes zero sense but hey who am i to say anything sane right exactly. <laughs> last time i checked a learning disability doesn't make you talk in tongues yeah uh, how did he learn latin if he has a learning disability latin's a hard language i tried i tried once it's hard um, i had an iup in high school and i failed spanish like five times so mm -mm. Like, yeah. Like, yeah. yeah and so oh, like how did this little boy with a supposed learning disability learn latin but did you take latin no because i could barely speak spanish <laughs> fair enough fair enough all languages yeah. are hard <laughs> i just know that like latin doesn't sound like anything else like I don't know. It's not, it's not like when you sit there and you're like, okay, was that French or was that Spanish? Was that Italian? And you can kind of differentiate. I mean, you can tell it's Latin, but it's not like, you know, like there are words that sound similar in different languages. Not, well, you can kind of Romanic languages all have similar like yeah. sounds and stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's mm -hmm. interesting because like, I'm sorry, I don't want to get too off topic, but my roommate knows French, but she can still understand a lot of Spanish. She's like a French teacher. And mm -hmm. she's fluent in French. And so she knows that language so well that when she hears other romance languages, she's like, I kind of can hear, get what you're saying from it. Yeah. 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 They're very similar. Yeah. And that's mm -hmm. how it is with music too. Cause I, I went to school for opera. So I know all of the romance languages too. And so you're like, oh yeah, I get what that is. Maybe, <laughs> maybe German, not so much, but definitely the other ones. <laughs> I went to school. I'm, this is also off topic, but I saw Carmen this past weekend and it was so good. Oh. Carmen's amazing. That's one of my favorites. <laughs> it's one of my favorite operas. Anyway, I digress. Um, anyway, my last little thing here is uh, as far as I'm aware, um, Judy has passed. 
Um, the, I think David is still alive. Um, I think the majority of the brothers are still alive. Arnie is still alive. Um, uh, but Debbie, unfortunately, did pass away in April of 2021. Oh, God. Have they made any comments or anything about the film since it's come out? Huh. Not that I've seen. And I did the research for this, like, right as the movie was coming out. So if they had, I would have, like, it would have been one of them. Yeah. Um, I know that, like, they made comments in other articles that I read, but nothing recently. But they did do that shock doc, like, Mm -hmm. very close after the movie came out. So, like, there are interviews with Debbie and Lorraine and, you know, that they've used from older interviews and stuff like that but um Debbie was alive when that was made wow I'm gonna have to watch that it was a good documentary I liked it a lot and it gave a lot of information like other than you mean factual information not occultists hiding in basements with witch totems yes yes (laughs) anyway that's the devil made me do it case of Arnie Johnson (laughs) Where nothing happened in the movie that is exactly the same. One of these things is not like the other. <laughs> it's so interesting though. Like it is really interesting. I mean, the movie definitely got my interest in the whole case. But again, as we said in when you were on our podcast, like I really would have liked that movie to follow the real case more because it's very interesting in and of itself. Right? Like the whole Uh, part of why he even gets possessed in the first place is so much creepier. The whole courtroom stuff would have been super creepy. Like there's so much interesting points that they just left out that could have made a really good movie. Exactly. They took all these creepy details and were like, you know, what's even creepier, a totem under the house. No, I would be be much more freaked out if the kid was like, it followed us. Right? I'd be like, what? (laughs) It'd be like that meme where it's like you see the like the spider in your house and then you light your house on fire. Yep. It'd be like I'd be like, there's a demon coming to the house, light on fire. It's not here anymore. Time to move. You can't possess something that doesn't exist. (laughs) Oh my god. Oh, Oh, that's that. And Thank you for listening to me. I mean, at least it wasn't two hours this time. No, it, it was, was only. That's okay. I was laughing. I couldn't join last time. So I was really interested to hear more about the case and some, you know, some of the more finer details that the movie just completely abandoned for yeah. whatever reason. Right. Well, right over that. Oh, so yeah. interesting. I know. It's crazy, right? <laughs> I love, I loved this case. I loved I think it's especially really like seeing the movie too and being like, ha, that's not right. right? <laughs> well, I mean, I know that Ashley and Bella used to really watch a haunting, and now I'm like, okay, I really want to watch that now. <laughs> Fair warning. It's kind of cheesy. Cheesy. But that's what makes it so good. Yes. Like that's what makes like when we were younger, we were like terrified of it. Like it scared the pants off of us. But it was still like Every once in a while, we'll still be like, well, man said I could. Because like one episode, <laughs> there's this little brat who made friends with a demon called man and was like, well, you know, mom, and mom's like, you can't play with this. And he's like, well, man said I could. And I was like, really? It's a little cheesy, but okay, we're going with it. <laughs> oh my God, that's so funny. <laughs> yeah, that's that. <laughs> 
Well, thank you guys for joining us. Would yes. you like to tell our listeners where they can find you guys, social media and where they can listen, things like that? Well, we're really glad that we got to join you all. And yeah. yes, we are on social media. We are the Stephen Queens and we are spelled with a PH, not a V and Stephen, just because we're named after Stephen King. So we are on Facebook as the Stephen Queens. We are on Instagram as at the Stephen Queens. And we are on Twitter as at Stephen underscore Queens. And you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pandora, and YouTube. So I hope that we can get some of our community people on each other's podcasts. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Okay, Nicole, where can they find us? All right. We are, God, we are all over the place. Um, most importantly, guys, we have a brain new Patreon, patreon.com slash buzzkillers podcast. Lots of exclusive content. If you hop on over there and sign up, it's only $2 a month. We're cheap. <laughs> We're a cheap date. Yeah. Um, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at buzzkillers podcast. We are on Twitter at buzzkillers pod. We are on YouTube, buzzkillers colon a true crime podcast. And then you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, slash Audible, Google Podcasts, Pandora, iHeartRadio, and our host platform, Podbean. It's a platypus. What are you talking about? Oh my God, I said platform for once. Yay! <laughs> Not platypus. No! I, the last like 10 times have only been able to say the word platypus. And I was like, that's just not it. And I'm going to keep calling it that. <laughs> well, we do it every time now. So I was surprised. I know. Kind of <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we have guests. <laughs> yeah, we also like stayed up until like uh, a little too late last night. I was wa- we were watching Rose Red. Res- Rose You're going to have to Red. show me that again. Rose, Rose Red. You guys never seen Rose Red? No. What's it about? <laughs> oh my gosh. It was a made for TV movie. Um, the nineties, eighties, maybe, um, where the screenplay was written by Stephen King. <gasps> it's not a book, but the screenplay oh. is written by him. I've heard of this. Cause he wrote it just for the screenplay, nothing else. And I've heard it's very Stephen it's like, King. Yeah. It's like, it's Winchester mansion meets, Haunting of Hill House meets, um, I don't know, it's really spooky. It's about this house that she keeps building and growing. And then like later, but like they also bring back like like Haunting of Hill House where they bring in the people to investigate later on. So like there's also another book that it's based on called The Diary of Ellen Rimbauer. Ooh. And like, so he based it off that book. Plus like he did the Winchester mystery mansion and haunting Hill house. And yeah, you should watch it. It's good. It's <laughs> that really sounds good. good. I know that does actually, what was that movie? The his fa- house his house. We fell asleep during it. It's there's a movie on Netflix called his house. It's very creepy. It's about a, a family who is uprooted, I think from Sudan and they're in England, and they're I've basically seen the trailer for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's very interesting. We may or may not have fallen asleep, not because the movie was bad, but because we're tired. But it's you know, very go back and watch again. Spooky. Yeah. So far, I, I need to go back and watch it, but it was very spooky. I'll have to watch that then. I was gonna say, and it's a Netflix movie, and those are always hit and miss. So this one seemed like mm-hmm. it was okay okay cool yeah. anyway guys thank you so much for doing this i really appreciate it and i'm gonna immediately 
edit this now and put it up so that I don't have we don't and, and yeah, have yeah. any problems. We'll no share problem. the crap out of it. Yeah, we're excited. Yes. So, yeah, it's gonna come out on the first. Yes. Perfect. Okay. Yay! I'm so excited we could yeah, do thanks this. Thanks for having us again. Yeah. Thank you guys for coming back and being patient with our technical difficulties. And- we are in there. Don't even worry about it. <laughs> oh man, it was tough, but we are thankful. <laughs> <laughs> well, enjoy your night, guys. Thank you for joining us again. And hopefully we'll do another one of these. We'll do another- yes, that would be awesome. For sure, will that would be That'd fun. be so cool. It's cool to do ones that are like actually based on real things. It is really awesome. Like, like we can always just be like, hey, you want to cover the real thing? I'll be like, yes. Yeah. We should, we should. <laughs> that'd be fun. That. Yeah, that'd be fun. Let's do it. Cool. Yay. It sounds <laughs> great. Thanks, right, guys. Until next time. Yay. Bye. This episode is brought to you by BK Creations, LLC.